Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. How many of you can say with me that God is good all the time? Maybe there's a guest here that says, I never heard that chant. Let's do it again. God is good. And they could join us there. And all the time, God is good. You may be seated. You may be seated. Amen. I have have the privilege, I have the honor to say to those watching, um, welcome to you guys. Welcome. If there's any guests in here, first off, welcome. Um, We thank you. I know we have like two or three or four that walked in, and we just want to welcome you and thank you. We hope you received a blue box. And um, it's a little gift from us to you. It's just a little something to say thank you for being in this house with this family today. Can everyone say welcome? Welcome, welcome to our nest. Welcome. Amen. So we just thank you uh, for coming and blessing us with your presence here at Nest Church. Amen. Um, I have the honor today to say what an amazing month it has been as a family to fast together, to pray together, to gather together. It was through Zoom at 5 o'clock in the morning whether it was on Wednesday nights at 7.30, drinking from Los Gaines juices to get some sort of appetite in us uh, filled and, and just worshiping and seeking him together and even on Sundays. How many of us have been blessed, have the honor to say, Lord, you've done a, such a, an amazing work in my life. You're doing so many great things. You're showing me so much. Thank you, Lord, for the month of February and what you've done in this month. And I know that I can. So beautiful. And um, what, what, what a beautiful time we had this month. Today is the last day of this month. And, um, and I believe this, as we get into the word now, I believe that it's, it's, the Lord is serving us. The Lord is, uh, the Lord is inviting us, I guess is the best way of saying this. There's an invitation and there's something that God has been wanting to do. And this month, I hope that we've heard it or that we accepted it. The truth is I struggled I struggled uh, this whole week, really, to whether preach or not. Um, a message that I taught here on a midweek, it was actually in December 19, 2018, when I shared it. And I was going to revisit it, and I was actually going to share it with you guys again because I felt like it was so timely um, to end our month of fasting and prayer. It's called Come to the Feast. That's what the name of that message is titled, Come to the Feast. I don't know if many of you remember that. But I decided not to revisit it today. I suddenly noticed this week that the Holy Spirit wanted, what he wanted for us was to end this month with this message today. But I would ask you to please um, consider and, and, and make some time, make some room this week to go back and hear that message from December 19th, 2018. And it's titled, Come to the Feast. You should make a little note there and hear it throughout this week. Because I think it goes together with this message today. If I had the opportunity to be with you guys maybe for six hours today, (laughs) I would maybe share this message today, maybe do a little break, and then do the other message. But I would love for you guys to come back next Sunday and say, I'm never going back to that church. I didn't know it was going to be an all-day event. But you know, in the old days, that's how they used to do it. They would have church all day. They would take breaks and stuff like that. Paul knew one day, how many times have we said that here in this church? He was leaving the town. He knew I'm leaving when the sun comes up. So I got to get every word that's in me out of me. So he preached all through the night to the wee morning, early morning hours. 
We know the story of the kid, that, the young man that fell asleep from the third story, fell down, died, had to pray for him. It was, <laughs> all right? So, so what I'm trying to tell you is this is normal and common stuff in the church. But we love you too much today right now to do that. Amen. But go back and listen to it. Come to the feast. And the reason why I'm asking you to go back and to listen to that message as congruent to what we're doing here today is because I believe that the Lord um, is inviting us to enter into a feasting in which we've never had the delight to enter into. A feasting. How many of you like food and like to try different kinds of foods and like to try different restaurants? I do. I love that stuff. Just to like see, okay, what's the special? Like I always ask the, I always ask the waiter, how many of you do this? What do you recommend? You know that's the best question to ask the waiter. They work there. They know the menu and the food. So they'll tell you what's the most popular item. They'll tell you what's the best one. And do you know, almost every single time I've asked the waiter, what do you recommend? And I order what they recommend. They've never failed me. I've always loved their dish. Can I get an amen? Me and my wife went to eat. I told, I told Adrian that he needed to eat at this restaurant and he needed to eat this meal. I, when I was working out with him the other day, I said, it's the, one of the best meals I've ever had. I went to a restaurant with my wife. I looked at the, the guy and I said, hey, I'm stuck between these three. He goes, but what do you recommend that should eat? He says, actually, you picked one of them. I would pick this one and leave it the way it is. I said, all right, then I'm going to go with that. Thank God I ordered that meal. It was the best meal probably to, to this day that I've eaten. It was a tremendous meal. Thank God I listened to the one that was serving me. The one that was going to give it to me. The one that had the knowledge of it. And, and, and I believe that the Lord is inviting us into, into entering into this feast like never before. And, um, and, and I thought about the restaurants and like I just told you with my wife. But have you ever eaten at a restaurant or maybe from someone else's cooking that's somewhat like at a, at a chef status in which you marvel of how delicious their food is? How delicious... This dish is, this meal is. And then you get caught off guard by the reply of the cook or by the chef, by your friend, by the person that's cooking it. And he says, well, I'm glad you loved it, but you haven't tasted anything. That's not even my best dish. I don't know if you've ever eaten somewhere from someone that you've just marveled over their food. And then they tell you, but that's not even the best dish in the menu. And you're like, how can this not be the best one? And that the cook is telling you there's so much more that I could offer you and there's so much more that I could give you. That what you've tasted was good. Don't get me wrong. What you've had was good. But what you don't know that what I have cooking in the kitchen is so much better than that what you've tried. I feel like the Lord is like that sometimes, like not sometimes, a lot of times with us. Hey, you liked February, you love February, you were blessed by February, you were blessed by the Zoom and the prayers and the fasting. Amen, you were blessed by February. That was good, but that is nothing to the things that I have in store for you. Like, think about the heart of God. Think about His purpose for us. And I feel like that's where we find ourselves so often with the Lord. Oh, Lord, that was superb. That was great, Lord. My goodness, delicious. And his reply is, I have so much more and so much better for you. I haven't even served my best dish yet. I haven't even served my best dish yet. Can you imagine leaving the presence of the Lord in awe 
There's been times where I've been in the presence of the Lord that I just got to sit for a while because it's just like I'm just intoxicated in the spirit of God. I'm intoxicated in his presence and I'm just like, I just need to rest for a little bit and just let this bask and let this sit in because of what God is doing in my life. And I pray that you receive that invitation to have those encounters with God. And, and, and yet, after experiencing that, knowing that the Lord can say, that's not even my best dish. It's really humbling, and that's today's message. If you're taking notes, you should write this down. Today's message is titled, His, His Best Dish. His Best Dish. And I thought about this, that the Lord likes for us. I want to make this very personal to you today. The Lord likes for you, for you to taste what He serves. So the old man got me for my birthday, one of those little, it's, a, it's like a grill and slash smoker all in one. And I love it because I've never made ribs in my life, and now I can make ribs, and, I, and it takes me seven, eight hours to make the ribs. You put the work in, but, man, it's delicious. I mean, it stinks. You work eight hours, but then the food is gone in ten minutes, if less. Like, man, I can't believe five minutes for eight hours. But it was, it was amazing. it's amazing food, and you could do all kinds of chickens and ribs and steaks. And you, you know what I'm saying. And, 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 I'm, and I'm, it's one of my favorite gifts. It's, 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 it's an awesome gift. It's something that I enjoy. And especially uh, during COVID, during all those months, you know, it was good to be cooking up different things and to be able to try different things. But one of the best and my favorite thing is, and anyone that cooks would agree with me, not that I'm a cook at all, though I cook. I'm not, I'm not like a, at all a chef or anything like that. Trust me. <laughs> but someone that knows, man, this is a good meal. They love to invite someone or have someone eat from their food. I have a famous um, uh, dish that I make. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a fried rice dish, and some of you have tasted it. And I just wait, and I just look at you guys like, and I taste it. Just put it in. Come on, taste it. And when they're eating it, like everything in me is like, so the, like before they're even like, it's just in their taste buds still. They're still like, it's still sizzling in there. And I'm like, so do you like it? Do you like it? Like, how, how is it? I want you to tell me the truth. Like, if you don't like it, and then they're like, no, my gosh, this is delicious. I was like, I know I'm here in front of you and I cooked it. You could tell me the truth if you don't like it. Like, I just want to know if you liked it. Because as a person that's serving, as the person that's inviting, and as a person that's giving someone that, I want them to, to, to rejoice in good food. And I, and I want them, if I'm going to take time to cook for them, I want to cook them a good meal. You know what I'm trying to say? And, and I want them to be like, wow, this was delicious. So that when I invite them again, they say, I'm going to go because he, he, he's going to make me a good meal. And, 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 and I, want, I want you to think about that. And, and I believe that the Lord likes that too. He's like the chef. He's like the cook that says, do you like it? Do you like it, huh? Do you like it? Come on, do you want more? Do you like it? Come on, come back to my house. Do you like it? Come on, come back to my table and feast at my table. Do you like it? I invite you to continue to receive from my table and you'll see that the dishes get better. It continues to get better. Do you? And you could just almost sense the Holy Spirit. He's like, do you like it? Do you like it? He did good, huh? We did good in the, in the kitchen. And he likes for us to taste what he serves. You know that. You know he likes it. When you're in the presence of the Lord, what does he long for? He longs for you to what? Oh, no, just don't enter today. No, he wants you to what? Enter into the presence of God. Not just be bitter, not just be all up in your mind, not just be all up in the tension. Truly crucify all that. Enter is what he desires. He desires that. And he likes for you to taste what he serves. How many of you can say amen? amen. We share this scripture all the time, and it's Psalms 34.8. 
where he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants you to taste. He's into that. He wants to mess around with your taste buds. He, he, wants, to, he wants you to feel the flavor. He, he wants you to say, whoa, you know what, that... That, I, I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you guys. I'm, I have this whole little stomach thing that I'm dealing with right now. But when this stuff gets better, I am, I am ready. I am ready to go back to that restaurant and receive from that meal again. He wants you to taste. I'm going to be like, yo, I'm going to look for the waiter. And, hey, I just said, yo, that's pretty cool. So, hey, <laughs> hey, you went pretty good on the first meal. What's, what, what's your recommendation for the second meal? Because <laughs> he did good. I might just do the first one again. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Can you say that? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted, have you seen that the Lord is good in your life? One commentary says that the center of biblical mission in the Old Testament is found in the words taste and see. The, ta- the task of Israel was to attract the nations to their God for their faithfulness to him. And God had promised to bless them abundantly. And when the nations saw this blessing, they would see that the living God was with them in the midst of a world of gods who were not good at all. There was one living God and he was altogether good. You're like, Why do you say God is good all the time? This is why, because we have tasted and seen that he is good. And he is good, what? All together. In a world of many gods, the true and living God is a good, good, good God. All together good. Amen. Matthew Henry, I want to quote him. He says this, he is good for he makes all those that trust in him truly blessed. Let us therefore be so convinced of his goodness as thereby to be encouraged in the worst of times to trust him. Wow, what a quote. And we learn and we read in the Old Testament as we see it in the Passover instituted, and we shared a little bit about that in our midweek on Wednesday. As it was instituted in Exodus chapter 12, each house was to take a lamb And the lamb was to be, as verse 5 tells us, without blemish. I like that word blemish. It means without defect. Firstborn, a male lamb. And then verses 8 and 10 tells us, I don't have time to get into all of Exodus 12. I've preached that here many times, and I've preached it verse by verse here before. And then he tells us in verses 8 through 10 that the whole lamb was to be consumed, and they shall eat it. That none of it will remain until morning. If so, burn it with fire. It is holy. None of it is to remain. So the Passover lamb in Exodus 12 would serve, if you study it well, as a foreshadow of Christ Jesus, who is our Passover lamb, fulfilling this Exodus 12 lamb in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Amen? And as Exodus 12 was speaking about this lamb and this Passover lamb and introducing this Passover lamb to these people. It's also in the New Testament, the Passover lamb comes in the flesh and he is giving himself 
to the world and he's given himself to his followers as the Lamb of God. Do you know that when he walked in to start his ministry, John the Baptist looks at him and does not say, there is Yeshua of Nazareth. Here he is, right? Yeshua of Nazareth. There he is, the Son of God. No, he does not say that. He points at Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. He calls him a lamb. He is the Passover lamb. The lamb of God has arrived. He is here. His ministry is present with us. And we learn from the New Testament when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He says to the followers, to his disciples, he takes some bread. He gives thanks to God for it. And he breaks it in pieces in verse 19 of Luke 22. And he tells his disciples, this is my body which is given for you. And you do this in remembrance for me. Man, he's giving of himself. He's giving of his body. He's giving that people could eat food from him. And it doesn't just end there. He says, do this. In remembrance of me, in verse 20, he says, after supper, he took another cup of wine. And with the wine, he says, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with blood, which is poured out, look what he says, as a sacrifice for you. That is speaking of the lamb that would be sacrificed, his body and the blood that would be shed. And here says, here's the blood, the covenant between you and God. Very powerful moment the Lord's Supper was. And that's what he's doing there. And I'm so convinced. Please listen. A lot of notes, a lot of verses we're going over today. I'm so convinced that the Lord desires for us to feast. Listen to this. To feast and to consume him. How many of you, how many people come to the Lord and all they do is just, they just take a piece of him. I want you to know that Christ's desire for you is not to take a piece of him. Christ's desire for you is to consume him. To eat him fully. I know it sounds weird, carnivore. I, 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 know, I know all this stuff could get really awkward and weird and stuff like that. But, but, but it all means something spiritual. I'll get to it. But he wants us to consume him. Which in effect, when we feast and consume him, it will cause and allow us to be consumed by him and by him alone. When we consume Jesus, he consumes us. Oh, Lord, I want you to consume me without me consuming you. What? That does, that, it doesn't work that way. We consume him and he consumes all. I, I want to quote the great philosopher, the great teacher, the great theologian, the great doctor, the greatest mind that ever lived. I'm going to quote him right now. Do you guys know who it is? Dr. Phil? <laughs> Dr. Seuss, someone said. Dr. Seuss, that's pretty close, Dr. Seuss. No. The great teacher, philosopher, theologian, doctor, the greatest mind that ever lived. Jesus Christ himself, John 6, 53, he says, I say, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you have no life in you. <laughs> Jesus says that. Unless you eat this, unless you drink this, there is no life in you. Here you are chasing me, and you're chasing me, and you think you have life, but you have no life in you unless you eat my flesh. And you drink my blood. That's in John chapter 6, verse 53. The context, and that's the passage we're going to be on. You should turn to John 6. The context of John 6 
It's not talking about the Lord's Supper. I know that I mentioned Luke chapter 22, and now I'm jumping to John chapter 6, but I want you to understand that when Jesus says that, I say unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. By no means is the context of John chapter 6 is he instituting or speaking necessarily of the Lord's Supper, but yet it does parallel with it because in the Lord's Supper, you are what? You are taking of the body and the blood of Christ and your access to eternal life is through that blood and through that body. So as Jesus does so well in John chapter 6, he takes something that is physical. He does this so well and often in his ministry. He takes something that is physical to mean something so much more in the spiritual. He does that often with his parables. He does that often with his stories and his teachings. He takes something and he makes it to mean something spiritual. But as we read John 6, we need to understand what is happening at this moment. At this moment in John 6, when Jesus says the words that I just quoted, what happens the day before? I wonder if anyone here knows. Right before, when Jesus says, you must eat my body and drink my blood if you want to have any life in you, do you know what just happened the day right before he says that? Anyone want to take a guess? It deals with eating. He's speaking that in front of a massive crowd of people. He just fed thousands with five loaves of bread and two fish. The next day, some of the crowd is still there, and he's like, I have something to tell you. So, so, so it, it's just a perfect lesson to teach, especially after what they just encountered some, some 24 hours or less than 24 hours ago. So just the day before, he, he feeds thousands with, with just a small amount of food, and there's a large crowd of people, many of thousands, many thousands and thousands that stayed behind probably to continue to hear Listen to what I'm saying here. To hear and to receive from Jesus. And Jesus knowing their hearts in John chapter 6. I'm going to just jump right into it. In verse 26 and 27, Jesus says this to them. Listen to this. and Follow along with me. Write some notes there. See what you get out of it. But he says this. I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understand the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about the perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So when you read verse 26 and 27, doesn't it make sense when he says, Oh, you seek me because of the miracles. Miraculous signs. But don't be concerned about the perishable things like food. You, you see what I'm saying? Uh, a little less than 24 hours ago, I took five loaves of bread and two small fish, and I broke it up into pieces. I gave thanks to God. I asked all of you guys to sit into clusters of families. And what happened from there is I fed all of you. And then we saw even a greater miracle that 12 of my dudes went around, walked around, and they picked up, what, 12 baskets still full of food. And the great miracle was that I was able to multiply and make something from a place of nothing. And I was not only able to feed your hungry bellies, but what, you come back for more and when you're coming back for more you're only coming for the miracles that I can give you and you're so caught up in the physical things that you don't recognize that I'm trying to teach you that I have something for you in the spiritual man so he says why are you concerned with miraculous signs why are you concerned still about the miracle of yesterday of the five loaves and two fish I know it was great I did a good job I'm a good cook you like the meal I know that was good but what you don't know is I got something so much better that wasn't even my best dish. 
I got a better dish. But you're so caught up in the physical things. You're so caught up in yesterday's miracle. You're so caught up in the five loaves and two fish that you're never going to be able to see what I have for you next if you don't get over that. If you don't recognize that there's something beyond that that I want to do. I believe this for our church, for you personally, for your very own family, that whatever God spoke did and whatever in this month of February, don't get stuck on that. There is something so much more greater and hopefully all of those things that maybe you went through in February has a greater and deeper spiritual meaning going forward for the rest of your life. And this is what Jesus is telling them. His main desire was for them, those there before him, to what? Very simple. Know me. His desire was for the crowds of people, hey, if you're going to continue to chase me, don't chase me for what I could give you. Chase me for who I am and come and know me. Do you know that there are still a people that are living in year 2021 that are still chasing God for what they can receive from God, and they're not just chasing God for who is God? They don't know him, but they what? But they want the things that they can receive from him. Those are the people that when they're praying for something for a long time and they still have not gotten it, they've gotten bitter with God because they don't know God rather than just wanting to what? Receive from God. And, and this is exactly what the Lord wants to teach them. Come and know me. It's a what? It's a what? What is he doing? It's an invitation. Come. I'm going to walk back, all right? Come. Come and follow me. Watch where I could take you. Come and receive the invitation. They wanted to know him, the crowds. They wanted to know him by what they could do. By what they could do. But Jesus was teaching them, you can truly, you can truly know me by how you believe. I know you want to get caught up with, wait, what can I do to get to know God more? What can I do? And he's like, you don't need to do anything. What you need to do is have faith and believe. See, I'm looking for faith in which your works can never produce. I like good works. I think good works are of the Lord. I think works are good. I'm not against works. But what Jesus is teaching here is there's a faith that doesn't come from works. I'm looking for faith in which your works can never produce. While you're trying to do works... To receive something that only your faith could give you access to. The key to open the door is, through the, is with faith and you thought it was through works. And he was trying to teach them that. Stop trying to do and to work and just come to believe and to know and to have faith. Because why would Jesus tell this to this crowd? Well, you got to know who the crowd is. They're descendants of what? Who are, who, who are the crowd? Who is the crowd? Who are their fathers? Anyone know? Is Jesus talking to a bunch of uh, Puerto Ricans in this chapter? Cubans? A bunch of Europeans? Who's he talking to? His, His people. The descendants of what? Yeah. Your papas and your mamas were in the wilderness with Moses. Your great, 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 they, they were there. They were with Moses. Shoot, we know each other. We know each other's history. We, he, he's like, you're my people. You. So, so he's going to speak to them, and, 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 and I want you to recognize as he's telling them, you're so caught up on works, but I'm looking for faith in which your works can ever produce. Why is he saying things like this to them? Because for generations... 
They put in their works according to the law, which took their aim off of faith, which the law was meant to produce. But they couldn't catch it. So for too long, they were more concerned with works that could lead to his righteousness rather than faith that would produce his righteousness. You're trying to do something to get somewhere, but what I'm trying to tell you is have faith and it's going to come out of you. Righteousness is going to come from within. And you're trying to find it from without. You're trying to find righteousness from works, but I want to find righteousness or I want to build righteousness or produce righteousness from within. Do you see what the Lord does? It's why we sing the song. It's why we quote the scripture. He begins to work from the inside then out. Where these religious people were trying to what, find the inside from only worrying or working on the outward things. No, I'm different than that. I didn't come over, years, over here so you could polish yourself physically and you could polish yourself outwardly. We're inside. What does these tell Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders? When outside you look beautiful, but inside you're nothing but dead man's bone. You're whitewashed tombs. You're rotten in the inside. You see what he's doing there? He's saying you look beautiful in the outside. Mm-mm. But inside you stink. Why? Because he was worried about what? Building the inside. So then what? Then you could finally understand the worth of what the glory is in the outside. Oh, I'm doing stuff to what? Be led to righteousness. He says, no, have faith to produce righteousness. And that's what he's teaching here. So here's how the conversation went as we keep reading, verse 28 and 29. So remember what Jesus says? He says all those things, I tell you the truth. You want me because I fed you and because you understand. Because you understood, the, you did not understand the miraculous signs. You didn't really understand that there's spiritual meaning behind all of this. You're so concerned about perishable things like food. You're so concerned about what? Material things. You're so concerned about what? Physical things. You spend all your what? Your energy seeking the eternal life that you, set, you spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. You're trying to find all these things in different ways. And he's trying to teach them all these things. And what was the reply in verse 28? He says what? They say what? We want to perform great works or God's works. We want to do God's works too. What should we do? There they go. We want to do God's works. We want to do God's works. What should we do? And then what does Jesus say to them? Jesus tells them in verse 29, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one whom he sent. Believe in the one he has sent. You want to do God's works, but you can, ne- <laughs> you can never do a work for God if you don't what? If you're blinded by the one who stands in front of you. You need to have faith in me to then go forward in the works of God, but you want to go through the works of God while trying to skip me. You can't skip Jesus and think you're doing God a favor. That is why every other, that's, this is where we now come to a place where we say, wait a minute, there are not many roads that lead to one God. When Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, as much maybe um, um, persecution, as much, as much things, and as much people in the outside world want to come against us preaching like that, or saying like that and come against us. I'm sorry, but that's what Jesus is. He's way, he's truth, and life. There is no other way to the Father. So this theology and this mind and this ideal of many different roads lead to the same God is a false teaching. There's only one road to God, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. And this is why he is telling the crowds of people something so important. You want
want to do God's work, but you can't do God's work unless you do what? Unless you have faith in me. It is people that are trying to get to heaven while not believing in Jesus. They miss out on heaven because they missed out on what heaven is consumed with. It's consumed with Jesus. How can you enter a room which is consumed by the one that you're trying to reject? <laughs> so he's like, no, I consume all of eternity. So if you're going to come to the Father, it's got to be me. I consume it all. Believe in me, he tells them. So the crowds were people, please listen to this, the crowds were actually people who had good theology, who had good doctrine, but had no faith. And that's who the crowds were. That's exactly who these crowds were. And this encounter, this conversation was going to get heated real quick. You haven't seen anything yet, but we're going to have a good time and read it all. But it's going to get heated, and things are going to flip real soon. In a moment, the crowds were going to start complaining and murmuring and get upset, and they were trying, they're going to try to cancel Jesus. This whole thing about cancel culture and all that, they, this stuff always has existed. And they were trying, and they were going to cancel Jesus because if you notice the reason why canceling, uh, uh, when does canceling come at its greatest or at its full force? Canceling comes when truth begins to hurt what is false. When light begins to penetrate what is dark, and they did not and they will not like Jesus because the truth will start to hurt them. The truth will start to convict them. And because the truth will start to convict them, they were going to have to come against it. It was hard for them to hear it and to accept it. Dangerous it is to cut someone off because they may have spoken truth to you and nonetheless Jesus. The greatest thing that you could do is sit close to a person that speaks truth, truth to you. Never reject them because, man, you need people like that in your life that are going to tell you, hey, you got a frijoles stuck in your tooth. You don't need friends that just say, <laughs> and just never tell you and the whole time you're smiling and you got the black bean that is stuck right in front of your tooth. You all need a friend with, that's going to tell you, hey, you got that booger right there on your chin. How many of you could say amen? I'm being very honest with you. I'm being very honest with you. The friend that says, my gosh, he has a booger on his chin, but I'm not going to tell him because, you know, maybe someone else will. Man, I don't, you know, we got to be a friend that tells the other friend, you got a booger. Now, it's the same thing in the spiritual things. Hey, what you did was not right. What you did was not well. And I'm telling you this not because I have anything against you, but because I love you. And from here is where we grow and from where you grow. Jesus was going to confront them, but what happens is they, didn't, they weren't going to like it. And here is, or here is how it goes, or here it goes. Ready? Verse 30. So they answered, come on then, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Uh, a couple hours ago, I fed you with five loaves of bread and two fish. And then there was 12 baskets full, and you're asking me, show you a sign so you could believe? You didn't believe just less than 24 hours ago? And you know what? I'm not going to bash this crowd, because I, I am this crowd. I could be on a high today, conquer the world, oh, look. And then the next day, I'm like, well, I'm quitting, and I don't care, and I'm... And God's like, did you forget what I did yesterday? And today you're going to hang it up? We are so like this crowd, it's not even funny. And when we recognize that, wait a minute, we're not on team Jesus here. We're actually on team crowd, and we could learn a lot from the crowd because we're a lot like this crowd. At least, I could, I'm not speaking to any of you. At least I could say I am a lot like this crowd. That's for sure. 
and I am not ashamed to admit it. I am a lot like this crowd many times of my life. And the Lord said, wait, 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 wait. You're crying about this today? With what I did to you, what I did yesterday? No. You see. So, so they said, oh, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. And look what they say next in verse 30. What can you do? What can I do? Just fed. See, don't, you look at this and I say, how ignorant can they be? How selfish can they be? How blind can they be for what the Lord is doing and wants to do? But like I said, it's us. It's me at least. And verse 31, it says, after all, look what they tell Jesus. After all, our ancestors. (laughs) So, what can you do? (laughs) Oh, you think you're cool because you did five loaves and two fish yesterday. I want you What they're about to do right now is disrespect Jesus in his face. You just fed us with five loaves and two fish. But what can you do, though? What do you mean? Verse 31, they say, After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness, and the scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Did you just see what they did? You're... You're... You're more special than Moses? Come on. (laughs) Answer me. You're more special than Moses? I dare you to say yes. And he's like, I'm the greater Moses, yeah. I'm the greater deliverer, yeah. Moses led you to the promised land, but he didn't walk in with it. I'm going to lead you, and we're going to walk in together. I'm the greater Moses. So they ask, they tell Jesus, wait a minute, Moses did the same thing you ate. You ain't that big. Moses did the same thing. What are, what, 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 what are you going to do? Come on. Moses has done all of this before. What makes you so special? So what is Jesus going to do? Oh, I got an answer for you. Verse 32, he says, Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth. Everyone say truth. I tell you that the truth. I, I, not my truth. I tell you what I believe. Notice Jesus' words. I tell you what I think. I tell you what I believe. No, no, no. He looks at the crowd that is answering him, and he says, I'm going to tell you the truth. And what does he say to them? Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. You think Moses gave you bread from heaven? My father did, and now he offers you the true bread from heaven. What is he saying? My father gave bread those years, and guess what my father's doing today? He's giving bread yet again because there's always a greater dish. So though they ate of that dish, I want you to know that today he's serving yet another dish, and here is another dish, and it's right before you, the bread of heaven. It's him. Remember what he said in the Lord's Supper, Luke 22? Eat of this. Drink of this. What is he telling them then? The bread of heaven. My father did. He's giving you the bread of heaven. Do you see how the Bible all connects? And then he says in verse 33, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Moses was not that. He's not disrespecting Moses. He is just telling the crowds, no, 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 no. I am a greater Moses. I am him. Verse 34, they said, sir, they said, then give us that bread every day. Okay, okay, okay. So then give it to us then if you say that. Where is this bread that God wants to serve us? 
as, as Moses served our fathers. See, when they say, sir, give us this bread every day, they still couldn't understand. They, they had no faith. And because they had no faith, they had no revelation of Jesus who was standing before them. And Jesus was telling them, I'm not going to hand it to you. It's me. It's me. You see, what happens here is this. Yesterday, I handed you. Actually, I didn't even do it. The boys did it. The disciples did it. But we handed you bread. But the bread that I'm talking about, I'm not going to just hand it to you today. I'm not going to hand it to you because it's me, is what Jesus is saying. And what he's doing is he's inviting them and he's saying what? Come to me. Take of me. Drink of me. Why? Because I am the bread of heaven. Come. While scripture says what? While you can find me. Come as I am near. I, I am here, but I also need you to what? Enter. Come. Draw near. Oh, but you can't say that. Yes, you can. The Bible says to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Come, I'm here to, I am here, the bread is here to draw near to you, but I need you to draw near as well. I need you to draw near as well. Religiosity is everything I could receive from that. Religiosity is everything I could receive from him, while yet not allowing him to receive everything from me. It's exactly what he's talking about here. Come as I am near. And he says in verse 35, what does he say? He replies, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Amen? Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Amen? Can you imagine eating a piece of bread or drinking a drink of wine and never thirst again and never eat again? Like, and I'm forever like, fool. But I don't know if I would like that because I want to keep eating. But you know what I mean. Because it's not physical. It's a spiritual thing. Meaning what? You'll stop running towards other spiritual things and other gods. You'll stop running to all these other man-made things. You're going to actually find me, and you're never going to eat again from another piece of bread. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. Verse 37, however, those that the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. Did you see that? The Father will give them to me, and they will come to me. And I will never reject them, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me. Not to do my own will, verse 39, and this is the will of God that I should not lose. I, I don't want to stop in a reverse because then we'll never end, so I need to get through this. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all of those that he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day, for it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up again, emphasizing on the last day. How many of you can say amen? What is he telling the crowds? He is telling them something very important here. He is telling them something so much here. And it's for us, the secrets of the word have already been revealed to us. For them, while Jesus is saying this, the secrets were not revealed yet. And it was hard for them to understand it. I get it when I'm about to tell you this. You're like, ah, oh, it's so easy, so elementary. I learned that, like, that's discipleship stuff. That's simple. But what you don't understand is it's not that simple to this crowd. When he is actually telling them right there in verse 37 through 40, he's basically saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life, and I am the truth. He's telling that to the crowd, and for the first time in their lives, they're hearing a message they've never heard. They're seeing a man they've never seen. And Jesus is saying, resurrection is only in me. Life is only in me. 
and truth is only in me. I've done my part. I've come to you, but you won't come to me. I am what? Making myself known, but will you have faith to come, to taste, to eat, to drink? And if you do, what does he say if you come to taste, to drink, and to eat? Whoever comes will never be hungry again. Whoever will come and believe will never thirst again. Will you come? How many of you are at a place where you just got to come and stay seated and eat from the feast that God wants to give you? So what happens in verse 41 and 42? The people begin to murmur. The people begin to grumble. The people begin to complain. Are everyone on verse 41 with me? It says, in disagreement, because he said to them, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They were upset with him. Who do you think you are? So they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and his mother. How can Jesus say, I come from heaven? You were born. I was there. I remember when your mom brought you. You were a baby. How can you say that? That you come from heaven. See, the crowds were so blind, they couldn't have faith and see the very prophecies that would reveal that Jesus was Messiah sent from God. They couldn't see it. Let's keep reading because I have so many things I want to say. But Jesus replies to them. He says what? I love this. Stop complaining. Shh. Stop whimpering. Stop crying. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws me. And on the last day, I'm going to raise them up. He's repeating because they didn't get it. And it is written in the scriptures, Old Testament scripture, to people that are very in tune with Old Testament. And he says to them what? They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who was sent from God have seen him. Verse 37, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but what? But they all died. <laughs> I, seriously, guys, sometimes we read scripture and we're not like, we don't get into it. I would have loved to have been here, right here, when he said that. Because he's actually using a sense of humor, sarcasm. He's like, oh yeah, they ate in the wilderness like you said, mm, but they all died. They're all dead. So how, how good was that bread that they all died? I love his humor. It's almost a dry humor, but yet it's bold. It's boldness. It's, fact, it's actually truth when you hear it. They ate from the bread in the wilderness, but what did it do for them? And then he's like, right. What did it do? Right, right, right. What's the answer? And he's waiting for them. And he's basically like, they, they, they can't answer. They're like, what do you mean? What, what is, he, is he trying to trick us? And he basically answers. Is it? They all died. All your forefathers, they all, they all died. They ate of that, but they died. Verse 50, verse 50, notice what he says. Your ancestors ate manna, but they all died. So verse 50, he says what next? He says, but anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. And you could almost see how he smiles at them. He'll never die. You see how offensive this can be? I, I hope you're learning something here in the scripture today. But do you see how offensive this could be? You see how this can be taken? You, you could almost sense where the crowd is like, you're talking about our ancestors. I'm very mad. Remember the world that we're living in today. Oh, you're talking about our ancestors. You're disrespecting us. Are you mocking us, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary and Joseph? You could almost see it. Well, no, you see it because they say it. You're a Jew just like we are Jews. You are a Jew as well. Have you lost your mind talking to us like that? 
Verse 51, so what does Jesus say? He says this, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven, and anyone who eats of this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is mine. And he says, then my flesh, verse 52, then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us flesh to eat, they ask. Is this guy crazy? Is he nuts? Who does he think he is? He wants us to eat of him, of his body. Who is this man to give us flesh to eat? And they were upset and they were angry. They didn't understand his teaching because they didn't have spiritual eyes, because they didn't have faith. You'll never understand the spiritual things if you're not growing in your faith. So sometimes people will continue to grow spiritually, but you stay where you're at. And it's nothing to do with any kind of other thing. But the simple thing is that they're growing in faith, so they're growing in the spiritual things. And they couldn't catch it. So what happens, and here it goes, Jesus comes in for the bang, or I love to say it this way, he puts the cherry on top as they're upset, and they don't understand what he means. He says, watch this, I'm going to put the cherry on top. And what does he say next? I tell you the truth. I'm going to say it again, unless you eat the flesh now. It's not bread now, ready? If you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and you drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life in you. Jesus was like, okay. You don't get it, and I get it. Thousands of years later, many others won't get it. So I'm going to say it so it can be written and spoken about for thousands of years. Here it goes. And he says again in verse 54, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person in the last day. Do you get what Jesus is continuing to say to the crowd? He's saying, I am the bread. Eat me. I am it. Receive me. I am it. Taste me. Consume me. Search me. There. There. That's it. No more reading between the lines. If you're going to take a chunk of food, come and take a bite of me. Come and consume me. All right. Verse 55 says, for my flesh is true food. Guys, seriously, put yourself there in the crowds. This dude is telling me to eat of his body. But then he's not. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. I ain't drinking no one's blood. And I'm definitely not eating anyone. I'm going to bite your finger off. And anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me in the same way. Anyone who, who feeds on me will live because of me. Notice it's not other roads. It's me. I am the road that you travel. I am it. I am. Now here it goes. Ready? The true bread that comes from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate of the manna, but they will live forever if you eat of me. Do you see how many times Jesus is repeating himself to the crowd? So what is he basically telling them? Do you get it now? I'm the bread for now. I am the bread for today. But I am also the bread for tomorrow and forevermore. Jesus says in John 6 to the crowd, eat of me. It's 2021, February 28, in this church, and Jesus is still saying the same message. Eat of me and drink of my blood. I'm the bread of heaven. I'm still the lamb of God who takes away the what? The sin of the world. Because it was not just a one-time event. But I want you to know that the cross and Calvary and the blood, it still speaks today. And I continue to be the lamb of God who sits on his throne forevermore. So verse 60, many of his disciples said, This is a very hard thing to understand. How can anyone accept what this man is saying? Disciples of Jesus. Remember, he did not just have 12. 
at one point he sent 72 out by twos to the town. So he had a massive following. It's only 12 stay with him at the end. That's why the 12 are the main focus. 11 of them, then Matthias comes in later, they would become the apostles to start the church. But look what happens here. Many of them said, this is hard for us to understand. How can anyone accept it? Very simple. Reflect. Examine yourself. What is Jesus telling them? Accept truth. Don't get so offended. Don't get so hurt. Don't get so bitter. It's easy to understand. Spend time searching, and what is he telling them? You will find that it is true. Don't spend time grumbling. Don't spend time complaining. It is true. Do homework. Find out for yourself and, and come. It will be great. Come and, and eat. Come and drink and find life because for too long, what has it been doing? It's been stealing life from you, not giving you life. And I give life, but I don't just give you life. Guess what I do? I give you life, and then I continue. I give life abundantly. Verse 61 Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, and he said to them, does this offend you? Can you imagine speaking truth to someone and just say, hey, before we continue to talk, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Well, we're having a conversation about here. Does it offend you? See, he was aware that they were complaining, and he asked them. So, so now he gives his disciples a summary, and he says it yet again. I'm going to read it fast for the sake of time. Verse 62, Ready? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? Me, if you see me go to heaven again. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human efforts accomplish nothing. And the very words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. You see that? But some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe. And he knew who would betray him. Obviously in that crowd, he has betrayers, and he even has the great betrayer, Judas, there. And he says to them, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them. Verse 66, at this point, many of his disciples, they turn away from him, and they deserted him. They left Jesus to be with him no more. Verse 67, Jesus turns now not to the crowds of disciples. Jesus turns now because everyone leaves him and he only turns to 12, the 12 disciples. And he says, are you also going to leave with them because they couldn't take what was offending them? Are you going to leave just like they left? And the one that steps out, of course he would, is Simon Peter. And he stands up and he says this to the Lord, Lord, to whom would we go? And he's quoting really David here, if you think about it. And he says, for you have the words that give eternal life. David once said, if I go to the depths of hell, you're there. If I reach the heights of heaven, you're there. Anywhere that I go, I find you there. And what does Peter say? Where can I go? You have the words of eternal life. Verse 69, we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I believe that in this moment, as the team could start coming up here, this moment is where Peter and some of the disciples committed themselves to eat and drink forever. Right now, at this moment. I need you to listen to this because maybe you get condemned a lot. And if this is for anyone that feels like I get condemned, I feel like I'm no good and I can never serve the Lord, please listen to this. I believe that Peter commits himself to eat and drink from Jesus at this moment and never leaves again. And you might, right there when I say that statement, say, wait a minute. But does Peter not make mistakes and many mistakes going forward? What's the answer to that? 
Just because you eat does not mean that you're not going to continue to make mistakes. One of the most infamous mistakes that we always blame Peter for is what? Three times he denies him in Caiaphas' courtyard. Three times. But notice that even though three times he cursed the name of Jesus, none of those curses to Jesus would actually separate him from Jesus. Because he was truly Jesus' and Jesus was truly his. And Jesus was going to reveal that to him and restore him when he says, do you love me, Peter? Come on, answer me. Of course, Lord, you know I do. Then get up and feed my sheep. Peter, I'm going to ask you another question. Okay, what is it, God? Do you love me? Lord, you already asked me that one time. You like to repeat yourself. I know. But I need you to go and tend my flock, feed my sheep. Peter, can I ask you another question? What is it, Lord? Do you love me? Jesus, I'm, this is a little weird. You continue to ask me the same question. This is the third time you ask me. I know this is the third time I ask you. But I need you to do what you're called to do. Go and feed my sheep. I love that because he's reminding Peter, I never left you. You, I, I know that you, you really messed it up in Caiaphas' courtyard. But I know that by you doing that, and I made eye contact with you, and I told you that you were going to do that, I know that it's made you today a better man. And I know today that you're someone different because of the mistakes you've made. So many of us get condemned, but we don't recognize that it's not the place to get condemned. It's the place to bring forth maturity and growth. Oh, but I messed up. I can never serve God again. No. You're listening to the lie of the, of the enemy. You can't do it. No, you, of course you can. No one is perfect. All it means is you continue to eat at his table, and he's going to restore and grow that in which you faltered and messed up in. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. He wants to heal that. But Peter had to take some time. Peter had to take some time. He committed himself, and the Lord would forgive and grow him, and Peter's eating would intensify, if you see it, towards his writing. I mean, the Peter that, the Peter that writes some of these scriptures is definitely a whole differently grown Peter than we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I, it, when you start to read things like 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 3 Peter, and you start to read Peter's words, you, there's no way that you could say, wow, that's the same Peter that I read about in the Gospels. He's a maturing Peter. He's a growing Peter. It's been many years. He's older now in his years, guys. And he's grown because of his mistakes. And he's eating greater dishes. And he's feasted in the Lord. And his hunger, listen to this, and his thirst, Peter's eating would intensify. That hunger and that thirst would deepen for the Lamb of God. And Jesus would allow him to feast from greater dishes. And all I could ask you is, where are you in this story has your feasting intensified, especially after this month? Has it intensified? Has your feasting intensified? Or are you still lost like the crowd? Or are you getting the revelation like Peter and some of the disciples? I know who you are. I'm going to eat of your table. I'm going to eat of your dish forever. <laughs> what I mean here is this, and, I'm, and, I, and I wrote this down. I, wanna, I mean this. As you hunger and you thirst for food, are you in the same manner are you in the same manner recognizing that there is a hunger and thirst for the Lord that is growing? Is your spiritual appetite deepening? Has your taste palates, have they developed to continue to drink from, so have they developed and are you continuing to drink from the fountain and eat from the table of the one who truly fulfills and satisfies? And I'm going to ask you a very serious question. And if this is just for one person here, I'm going to be very sensitive. But I'm going to ask it and do not answer it, but answer it and reach out to someone that loves you that's here reach out to me 
and somehow, and I'd love to have a talk with you, we'll go and hang out. But I want you to really think about this question. Have you recognized that as much as you've tried elsewhere and you've experienced elsewhere and you've done things elsewhere, that none of it has truly satisfied and fulfilled you and you still are longing for something to fulfill you and to satisfy you? How many of you, without raising your hands, how many of you have chased, have done things, are doing things, are in a current place that you're looking for something, for someone, for this, for that, whatever it is, to fulfill you and satisfy you. But God wanted you to be here today so that you can know, I know you're looking to be satisfied. I know you're looking to be fulfilled. And as hard as this decision can be for you, as difficult as this can be, this could change your life forever if you make this decision. I know it's hard because what are people going to think about you? What are people going to say about you? But if you could just make this change today, and if you could eat of my body and drink of my blood today, if you just do this today and receive of me, you'll see that I will be the one that will ultimately fulfill you and satisfy you. I'm wondering if there's one person here that says, that was for me. Every time I continue, I recognize that I'm not satisfied. Every time I continue, I recognize that I'm not fulfilled. And the Lord just says, amen. And you're here today for me to tell you that I'm the bread. I am the Lamb of God. Come and consume me. And watch me consume you. Come and eat. Come and drink. And watch how I truly fulfill and satisfy your life. Oh, man, I don't know who that's for, but if that's you, he's going to fulfill and satisfy you. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul writes to the church. And he tells them to purge out the old leaven. That you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. And then he says, for indeed Jesus Christ, indeed Christ, our Passover... He was sacrificed for us. One commentary says, by analogy, when publicly known sin in the church is not subjected to church discipline, it will silently spread its destructive consequences throughout the whole fellowship. And what is Paul writing here? There's sin. And purge out the old leaven. That's a representation of sin. Purge out the sin so that you would finally become the new lump that he wants to do. Because you are being transformed to unleavened bread without sin. Without living for the desires to sin. Because of Christ, our Passover, the one that was sacrificed for us. That's a powerful statement that Paul makes to the church. And Paul, writing to the church, he's like, come on, deal. Deal with the sin. Remove the things that are not needed in your life. Come on, come on. February just is ending. Remove the things that are not needed. Remove the things that hinder. Remove the things that will challenge or stop your hunger and thirst for the Lord. Remove those things. That's what Paul is telling the church of Corinth. Remove the, the, remove the, 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 the that sin, that, that gulk, that, that, that stuff that you don't need in the bread that's not healthy for you. Purge out the old leaven. That you would be that new lump. You're unleavened. You're, you, for Christ indeed our, is our Passover. He was given to us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus' very own words in the Beatitudes, he says, happy are those, fulfilled are those, satisfied are those, blessed are those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
they hunger and thirst and they're going to be filled they're going to be satisfied in Revelation 19 it talks about the marriage supper of the lamb the great wedding feast and I end with this he says and I heard as John is given this vision and he says I heard as a voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters as the sound of many thunderings and they began to say hallelujah for the lamb of God the omnipotent reigns let us be glad and rejoice and let us give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints and then he said to me right right John right because blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true sayings of God so I read Revelation 19 and all the verses that we read today together and all I can tell you is begin to feast today because we have a wedding feast, a marriage feast that we will partake in one day in eternity. This is what he desires for us. It's to feast. And on this side of eternity that we are in right now, we may be feasting on, on what may just be the appetizer of the greater feast to come. This make. This life is just the appetizer. And my God, don't we marvel about the appetizer. We think it's a filet mignon and it's nothing but a coconut shrimp. You know? It's just the appetizer of what is to come when we're in, eternal, in the eternal presence of our beloved. When his main dish will be served. And then he says, well done, good and faithful servant. On that day, what are you going to tell the Lord? No, Lord. You're going to rebuke the Lord and say, I'm not good. For no man is good for me. On that day, he sees Jesus in you. He sees the lamb in you. He sees that what? You've consumed him and he's consumed you. And when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, he also speaks to the Jesus, to the Lamb of God that lives inside of you. Well done. Good. And faithful servant, come and eat of the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm going to ask you right there where you're at. If you want to stand with me, you're more than welcome to stand. If you want to just stretch your legs for a little bit and get the blood circulating. You can move around, you can shake your limbs a little bit, but we're done here. But, but as we close here, I want you just to examine yourself for a moment. I want you to be very honest with yourself. You and I know very well we've lived long enough to be very familiar with this, what I'm about to tell you. As much as you smile and as much as you hide truth and as much as you tell people, oh, no, no, everything everything's good as much as you do all those things you and I know very well you and I know very well that only deep down we, we know what we really feel when we go back home when we lay down in our beds 
we know the thoughts that run through our mind. No one else knows them. We just smile. We're like, no, everything's good. Shoot, maybe one of you is the life of the party. And everyone loves to have you around. But little do they know that when you go home, the life stops. The party stops. Because you live empty. Because you live unsatisfied, dissatisfied. In front of people, everything's good. In front of people, woo, I'm alive. In front of people, come on, you only live this way. You got to just try it. You gotta. But then you go home and you recognize, shoot, I'm still empty. I still need to be fulfilled. I still need to be satisfied. So you continue. You even continue with the same people, hoping that it satisfies you. You even try new things to see if that will work. But as time goes, you go back and you recognize, why do I continue to feel the way I feel? I want you to know today that if there's anyone watching this at whatever time you're watching this in your life, if you're present here today, this message is for you and that the Lord is telling you I have a great dish I have a great meal I have a great food that you could feast on come and eat of me come and drink of me and you'll see that you'll never eat and you'll never drink from anyone again come on I, I want you right there where you're at to really just spend time with God as I share some of these things and I want you just to examine as I speak because I didn't have time and I don't have time but this is what the gospel is all about this is what all the New Testament's about when Jesus goes to the well and he meets the Samaritan woman what's wrong with her she's got five dudes she's shacked up with five or six dudes and all those guys that she's been with none of those guys have satisfied her and fulfilled her and they, she comes to Jesus and he says go take to see your husband Go take this water to your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. He goes, right. And the last five that you were with, that you were shacking it up with, none of those five guys were your husbands either. What did they do for you, huh? They didn't get you anywhere. He wasn't being mean to her. He wasn't trying to step on her head. Sometimes people get Jesus wrong because there's people out there that are representing him wrong. He was loving her. He was showing compassion. He says, standing before you is the lover that you need. I'm the lover you need. Come and drink of this water. Come and drink of me. And you'll see you'll never come back to this fountain. You'll never come back to this wall again to drink water. You'll always find enough water that will satisfy and fulfill you. And it will be me. Those five and six men that you thought you could drink from, you're never going to need to go back to those men because I will fulfill you and satisfy you. I love you, daughter. And you might look at that and say, what was Jesus doing wrong? He was doing nothing wrong. He was loving her even though she was sleeping with six men. Come on. Don't judge him incorrectly. Oh, all you Christians are, are bad because you hate this kind of people and you hate that kind of people. No, those are the bad Christians. They, I don't understand their heart. They don't understand the heart of God. They don't really read the Bible the way it's really being taught. I'm trying to tell you today that Jesus loved her though she 
was not doing the things right in her life, but he was giving her a chance to taste of him. And that if she would taste of him, she would see that he is good and her life would be transformed forever. What do you think happened after that day? That woman went back so in love with Jesus, so fulfilled and satisfied. Historians wrote about her. And it says that she began to preach to all the men, all the leaders of the town. And she began to lead many in that area, many in that area to Jesus Christ. A woman who was promiscuous, a woman who was sleeping around, was now a woman who found one lover devoted to Jesus and from that moment on was sharing Jesus to the rest of the world. Her life was forever changed. Come on, that's the real heart of God. That's the real heart of Jesus. I'm not going to stand up here and say, Jesus hated that woman. That woman's going to go to hell. No, Jesus loves her and his desire for her was for that woman to live with him and feast with him right now on earth and for the rest of eternity. But the decision was hers. Will you come and drink from this water again so that you will ultimately be satisfied and fulfilled for the rest of your life? Come on, examine yourself there. Is Jesus speaking to you? And is he saying, eat my best dish, eat, eat at the table. Come on, with every eye closed, I don't want anyone here to be in your business. This is your business with God. This is the most important part right now where, where you truly surrender to the Lord or not. Will you surrender to your God right now? Will you say to the Lord right there in your prayer, right there where you're standing, make the decision. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm not going to ask you, let me pray for you right now. Because to be honest with you, I don't want any part of this. I want this to be between you and God. I want God to be it. So right there where you're at, does all this stuff resonate? And can you, right there in prayer of your heart, just say, Lord, take away the sin. I want to eat of the Lamb of God. I want to drink of your blood. I want to be forever changed. I want to feast at your table. Forgive me, Lord. Fulfill me and satisfy, satisfy me from this moment forward. Serve your best dish. And let me, let me never get up from eating at your table again. Come on, just pray that right there where you're at. We're not even going to sing as a worship team. We're just going to keep playing. Just right there where you're at. Spend a little bit of time talking to your God. Can you do that?
really surrendering yourself to the Lord and today you've come to eat you've, you've, take, you've taken the invitation to come and drink and eat I say this with in all truth I say this with high importance if you could find someone here if you could reach out to us say, listen, I took that invitation. Listen, I want to continue on this path to eat and to drink from God. I, I want to ultimately be filled by Him. I encourage you to find that person. Come and connect with us and, and let them, let us help guide you, help direct you through what that process, what that process may look like going forward if you don't know what that is. But I pray that if you're surrendering yourself right there, right now, that you would take that seriously and say, today I'm going to talk to this person. Today I'm going to open up about this. Today I'm going to, I'm going to make the decision. And I just need to get around the right person, the right people. And I want to make sure that I go, I do things right going forward. And I just need a little bit of guidance during this time of my life. I encourage you to do that. encourage you to do that Lord I thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us you're such a good God I thank you Lord God because we complain and we com we grumble but Lord you long for us to understand what you're saying to, to just take the invitation to come and eat to eat at your table to be full to be filled by you and and as we continue to eat, the filling continues. And as we are experiencing the continual filling, there grows in us a greater hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst for you and for your righteousness. If there's anyone here that right now is taking that step forward, I pray that let them come out open with it and say, hey, this is what was my prayer today or this is I need some guidance I, I heard today and that they would go to the right person that they would get the help and that if they come to us that we would help you that we would help them that you would give us the grace that you Lord God would lead them and guide them give them grace direction going forward and that you do that miraculous work in their lives Lord I thank you for such a beautiful time for such a beautiful morning I thank you for the truth of your word that it would bring forth, forth growth and edification to our lives. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.